what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of the rewired soul podcast it's your host chris and today i am super super excited for t- this guest who is matthias clayson all right and if you're wondering what book he wrote it is called a very nervous person's guide to horror movies all right so matthias he is a researcher and specifically he researches uh, horror, but not just like horror movies. There's a lot in the book about, you know, research they've done in like uh, haunted houses and like different VR that they're working on and all sorts of stuff. But anyways, I mean, one of the reasons that I was so excited to have him on is because, and I'll, I'll discuss this a little bit in our conversation, but I used to be such a massive wuss. Like I am totally transparent. I have no shame in saying like, scary movies used to keep me up at night and i'm talking i'm not talking about when i was a kid i'm talking about like through adulthood all right i would just be in bed full-blown anxiety just losing my mind but today today horror is one of my favorite genres my girlfriend and i we watch horror all the time we even got my son into horror movies and we love watching them together but yeah it, it's really interesting but yeah i talked with uh matthias because he's done so much research and it's so interesting but it's not just about you know why we love horror but also why we hate horror why some people don't like being scared and all sorts of stuff but he also dives into a ton of research around like you know uh how horror like affects mental health and in this conversation we talk about how horror can be used or potentially be used for different forms of therapy. It's all really interesting, fascinating stuff. And yeah, so whether you are a horror fan or you hate being scared, whatever it is, I guarantee you will find this conversation just really, really fascinating. But more importantly, you will love his book. It's completely unique. I've read a couple books in this realm, but the research that Matthias is doing is amazing. Well, one of my favorite topics that we dive into in this conversation is the types of horror movies that people like, because when you get into this realm, you kind of see which movies everybody like kind of like rants and raves about and like, oh my God, it's the best movie ever. So I ask him a question about these types of people. And yeah, so so I hope you enjoy that part, but for some of you, it might really piss you off. But anyways, <laughs> I thought it was a fun part of the conversation. So yeah, so make sure you head down in the description, follow Matthias, he's doing amazing research. This book is phenomenal. I've linked it down in the description below. Like it's full of just stuff studies and research. And in this conversation, we talk about some upcoming research he'll be doing and all that. So make sure you check out his book and give him a follow over on Twitter. But before we get started, also make sure you are following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. But also, I love chatting with all of you. I'm trying to write a little bit more as well. So you won't miss any, uh, you know, uh, new pieces that I write or any upcoming episodes. And also, also, for any of you who are fans of TikTok, uh, you might have heard like book talk is kind of like getting popular. I'm like, hell, I read a ton of books. Maybe I'll jump on there. So I've been playing around with TikTok a little. So if you want to follow me over there, it's at The Rewired Soul. Uh, I'm going to try to do like little quick reviews of books that I finish because I'm, I, you know, I try to read like five or six books uh, a week. So uh, yeah, follow me over on TikTok at The Rewired Soul. All right. But anyways, anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Matthias Clayson about his book, A Very Nervous Person's Guide to horror movies.
All right. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be talking about your fantastic book. Uh, and it's, it's about, uh, it's a nervous person's guide to horror. So for those who have yet to meet you, they have no idea who you are, what you do. Can you give the folks out there a little bit of your background? Yeah, you bet. So, um, so I would probably describe myself as a horror researcher. Uh, my actual formal title is uh, associate professor in literature and media, mm. which sounds kind of more boring. Um, but I work in an English department in a big research uh, university in Denmark, and uh, I'm director of something that we call the Recreational Fear Lab. So, um, so that's what I spend my days on is, is researching horror, teaching, you know, the usual kinds of academic pursuits. Got it. So, so yeah. So, did you when you first uh, when you got into this field, right? Was was it? always focused on horror or was it a little bit more broad in media and writing and stuff like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I always loved stories. I used to lose myself in books from a very early age. Mm. Um, but I was really scared of, uh, scary stories when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, but something, you know, some, some switch got flipped in my mind, uh, in my teenage years. I think that's a fairly, it's a fairly common developmental trajectory. Um, and I suddenly found myself deeply fascinated with stories that would nonetheless keep me up at night. You know, I would read, uh, ghost stories and I would be just wrapped, but at the same time, I, I didn't dare leave my bed because I was convinced that, you know, a skeleton hand would shoot out from under the bed and grab my ankle yeah. and pull me into hell. Yeah. So, uh, but at the same time, you know, I would, I, it, I was puzzled, you know, what was going on? Why was I so fascinated with monsters that I didn't believe in and scary stories that made me sleep with the lights on. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, after a few false starts, uh, I ended up studying English, uh, because mainly because of my love of literature, but then I found that I could actually combine my love of literature with my love of horror because literary history is just full of corpses and monsters and trolls yeah. and witches and ghosts. So, um, so it all kind of panned out in the end. Yeah. So I, one of the reasons I'm super glad to have you here is because I can relate so much and I don't like open up about this too much, mm -hmm. but like, I was just terrified of the same thing, scary movies, uh -huh. scary stories. And like the, it's hard to explain because my girlfriend, for example, will talk a little mm -hmm. bit about how she introduced me to horror, but, uh, mm -hmm. like the anxiety I got, like you're talking mm. about like, oh yeah, like I'd be afraid to leave my bed. Like, yeah, like I, I remember just <laughs> laying in bed, feeling like I had a pant, was having panic attacks, just yeah. thinking about stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm a very scientific thinker and I know what's real and what's not real, yeah. but these things would just keep me awake. And, and now, you know, fast forward, like mm. we watch horror movies all the time. I sleep fine, you know, and all these other things. Mm. Um, but yeah, so. So you're, you're talking about how like these things like made you nervous and freaked out and all that, mm -hmm. but you loved it at the same time. So you talk a little bit about this in the book, you know, mm -hmm. and there's some great research you touch on. So, uh, what, what's that type of person like that mm -hmm. you think you are right where it scares the hell out of you, but you mm -hmm. still like to read and watch and all that type of stuff. Right. Yeah. That's a good question right. because, uh, horror, horror fans aren't cast from the same mold necessarily. Um, and one of the reasons why I wrote the book is that there are so many 
misperceptions about the genre mm. that it's that it's stupid that it's harmful that it's um that it appeals only to teenage boys uh all of which is untrue um but we've done some studies where we looked at the different motivations people have for 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 seeking out scary entertainment um and we also did a study in which we tried to get a fix on the personality profile of the horror fan but that turned out not to be very feasible because different people seek out scary entertainment for different reasons. Mm. Uh, but we did find that uh, horror fans tend to be more kind of imaginative and adventurous and uh, open to new experiences. And then we also found that we can actually classify different kinds of horror fans. So some are adrenaline junkies and they're in mm. it for the kick. You know, they want their horror to be as scary as possible. And then there are, uh, horror fans that we call white knucklers, you know, people who watch a horror movie, but they clench their fists so hard that their knuckles turn white. Um, and they're not in it for the kick necessarily. Um, they get nightmares and check under the bed for monsters before they go you know, to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm probably that kind of horror fan. Um, I really like it, but also I know it's, I know it'll, it'll mess me up. Yeah. I know that, you know, when I have to take the dog out for a walk and I've seen something really scary. I'll be seeing ghosts everywhere. And I don't believe in ghosts. Yeah. Uh, but I sort of do when I've watched a really scary supernatural horror movie. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And and let me ask you this, because I remember you mentioning this in the book, right? Like there's a misconception that, you know, like teenage boys mm. and stuff. Mm. So I'm I'm curious if there's like a cultural difference. Because here in the mm. States, something that I feel like I've noticed, and maybe like there's some kind of weird selection bias that I, I'm not even realizing. Mm -hmm. But it feels like most of the women I've known and grown up with are huge horror fans, right? Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. you know, I've known some guys, you know, my age, friend groups and stuff who are like, they don't mind it. But like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, like my girlfriend, she's obsessed with horror, loves all mm -hmm. the classics, just like, you know, Freddie, Jason, Chucky, all these other things and uh, all of those. But yeah, I've noticed a lot of women here in the States. So have you, have you noticed that at all? Like, is it like a cultural thing in like different parts of the world? Because like, when I read that, I'm like, huh, cause I don't really know like guys who are like obsessed with horror. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a huge cultural difference. Um, it does seem to be the case that there isn't really much of a gender difference. Mm. Um, except once we zoom in and look more closely at subgenre. Um, I have a Ooh. really, uh, a great, uh, friend and colleague, Colton Scrivener, uh, who is a morbid curiosity researcher. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. And he's, he's done a lot of work on morbid curiosity, which he thinks is a personality trait and everybody has a little bit of morbid curiosity and some people have a lot of it, and, uh, but we all have it. But the thing is he has found, um, empirically that there are four facets of morbid curiosity. And so some people are very interested in, uh, getting into the mind of dangerous people. And some people uh, are very interested in, you know, seeing the inside of the human body, uh, seeing an autopsy, seeing violence. Uh, some people are very interested in, in the paranormal and the occult. And these are all different facets of morbid curiosity, but it looks like women on average tend to score higher on that one facet that has to do with the, the motives of dangerous people. Which would explain why, you know, the prototypical true crime fanatic is a woman. Um, so it could very well be that, um, that certain types of horror movies ap appeal more to a female audience and, mm -hmm. 
and certain other types more to a male audience. Got it. So, mm. so yeah, that, that's also an interesting topic. Like, so for a while, I got interested in just, uh, uh, learning about like psychology of like evil and serial killers and mm. stuff like that. And something I was, I was reading up on, and this might be kind of what you're touching on. Uh, and let me know if this is what you found or, uh, what your, uh, your buddies found about women being interested mm. in this, but I watched like a lot of serial killer documentaries and stuff like that. And what they were saying was like, it helps us feel like we, we're, we're defended a little bit because we know what's going on in their mind. And that's why we like watching it. Like, for example, I yeah. watch like cult documentaries and it's almost like a defense. Like, so I can mm. kind of play that scenario out and be like, okay, well, mm. here's what I would do and all that. So is that, yeah. is that kind of why you think that, uh, because women, like they have to worry, you know, like just walking mm. around at night. So do you yeah. think that's kind of why they're interested in true crime, horror and things like that to get inside the mind and be more protected? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Uh, because the thing that really spooks humans is the unknown. You know, when mm. we can't predict, uh, we find situations and people creepy when we can't really predict what they're going to do or if they pose any threat to us. And one way to reduce that, you know, element of the unknown is trying to, as you say, simulate, uh, have these different scenarios, try to vicariously or imaginatively uh, learn something. Um, and I remember... I remember watching, it's an old interview with uh, Stephen King, I think on 60 Minutes, uh, mm. from maybe back in the 80s. And he's telling this story about uh, King as a child. Uh, he was obsessed with one of the famous American serial killers, and he would collect clippings and read news stories. And his mom was really concerned about the mental health of little Steve. And he yeah. tried to explain to her, you know, that... Um, I want to, I want to be able to recognize this guy if I run into him one day so that I can yeah. step around him. So I think it is about that. It's about trying to understand, to avoid as a yeah. defensive strategy. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you know what, you know, what's funny, like totally off the topic of like horror, but I've been thinking about this a lot lately, cause there's been a lot of conversations, as you know, like on Twitter about mm. free speech, deplatforming. Mm. a lot of it's been with Joe Rogan, but anyways, something that I regularly tell people is that like, not only do I like, you know, advocate for the most part of like just free speech, just, you know, whatever, but when they ban Donald Trump, right. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, that's a big win. And I'm like, no, I would much rather know what that guy is saying, what he's mm -hmm. doing, what he's thinking than not knowing, because now he just has like a newsletter. I don't know who's reaching it. I don't know what the replies to it are like. I don't know what that feedback is. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather mm -hmm. have eyes on him. So, so yeah, it makes sense that we kind of want to like understand and learn, but, mm -hmm. um, have you, have you found anything where people are, are like the opposite of that? Like where we'd rather not know where the, the whole ignorance is bliss type mm -hmm. deal, because there are people who are completely uninterested in this stuff. And like you were mentioning, there's, you know, there's a stigma around people into horror or serial killers and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So do you, do you have any idea like what? what pushes people away where they're just like, I don't want to know any of this stuff, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I wonder about that. Uh, the thing that comes to mind is some, some new research we're doing on kids and recreational fear. Mm. Um, and when I talk about recreational fear, I mean those kinds of activities in which people derive pleasure from fear. And so horror would be the kind of prototypical example. But it also includes, you know, hide and seek or chase play for kids or scary nursery rhymes or, you know, fairy tales with all creepy elements, uh, going to theme parks, many different activities in which we really um, get that, you know, kick out of 
playful fear, I guess. Mm. Um, but the thing is, uh, it looks like kids today in the West have fewer opportunities for engaging with recreational fear than they had yeah. a few decades ago. And at the same time, we are seeing an explosion in, uh, mental health problems among yeah. kids. And I'm thinking there could be some kind of causal relationship, uh, because what I, th I think recreational fear allows us to practice coping strategies and learn something about what it feels like to be afraid and how mm. to manage your fear. And so it's a shame if we, uh, you know, from, from a, from a good place, we try to shield kids from any kind of mental discomfort. Yeah. Uh, that may not be the way to go. Um, so, but that's, it doesn't really address your question directly. Um, but it could be the case that many people in the West, you know, helicopter parents and so on, yeah. uh, shield kids from, from, from scary stories. Um, it, I think there is also, you know, a kind of social thing going on with, uh, certain, yeah. So, so, but mm, it's not something I know a lot about, but I have some, some ideas. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that is interesting. And just, yeah, because, uh, you know, for example, like, uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, studied as much as I can about mental health just for my own. And there's like that whole, mm. like avoided thing, right. Where you avoid yeah. it. And then you're just like, you know, like it just, it, it's out of your life, you know, but, mm. um, I'm curious because I actually just recorded an episode with Greg, uh, Lukianoff and him and Jonathan Haidt wrote that book, the coddling of the American mind. Yeah. And they, they advocate for kind of like what you're talking about this kind of like mm -hmm. free play. Uh, there's that whole movement of like uh, free range parenting too, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, it seems like over the last decades, and this is something I, I, I believe I talked with Greg about too, but I've noticed that like, so I'm 36. I grew up in mm -hmm. the nineties, the right? Before cell phones or anything. And my dad would just be like, go out, be back before nighttime, right? I can come yeah. home bumped, bruised, whatever, after riding my bikes with friends and crashing and falling and all these other things. But <laughs> now it's the 2000s. My son just turned 13 and he has a cell phone, right? Yeah. I'm scared as hell if he just goes somewhere, right? Yeah. And it's, and I, I have to, I have to fight against that. But yeah. um, also maybe this is a good transition into, uh, you know, one of my favorite parts of the book. Uh, uh, about introducing kids to like scary, uh, stuff. And you, you have a great story about your daughter going to uh, a haunted house and stuff, like the scariest one, but, but yeah, my son and I, we kind of overcame our fear of horror movies together. Really? Right? Like, yeah. When we first started, because it was maybe even two years ago, uh, -huh. uh like I'd be, I'd be scared and me and him would sit next to each other. We'd cover mm -hmm. our faces and stuff. Mm -hmm. And now, and like, you know, he'd go back into his room and be like, uh, Hey, can I leave my door open? Or, Hey, can you come yeah. in here now? We'll watch like just last night we watched, uh, I think Friday, the, yeah, the second Friday, the 13th, before he even has uh -huh. his mask and everything. And yeah, now my son, he just watches it like a champ. He'll go into his room, doesn't care, pull the door, falls yeah. through. Oh, that's um, awesome. But it's kind of, uh, you know, it's given him some more resilience. Like, so I noticed mm. how it's affected me, but for him, mm. it's, it's really interesting. So can you discuss a little about what your research has shown about introducing uh, kids to horror? Like, you know, there's a few different things, like when do you do it? How do you do it and stuff? But yeah. Uh, as far as the resilience aspect and helping them be less afraid of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so this is an intuition I have that, that, that there is that resilience effect that it might be that exposing kids to age appropriate, scary entertainment, such as horror movies or, you know, scary literature or even haunted houses is a good thing because it helps them 
um, get that sense of mastery, uh, and it helps mm. them learn coping strategies. I mean, that's what we do when we watch scary movies with kids. We, we, we kind of, we, we tell them, you know, keep in mind, it's just actors. It's, it's not real blood. It's just, you know, it's, it's ketchup or whatever. And that's a, that's a cognitive coping strategy, a way to maintain a kind of psychological distance between yourself and the scary stimuli. And kids have to learn that stuff. Otherwise they'll be overwhelmed when they, mm -hmm. when they meet scary stimuli in the real world. Um, but we did an empirical study here in Denmark on recreational fear activities in Danish daycare institutions. So we talked to a lot of teachers in, uh, nursery homes and, and kindergartens, uh, not nursery homes. That's for old people, right? Yeah. And like nursery schools. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Um, and we found a really surprisingly high frequency of recreational fear activities. So those teachers scare the hell out of those kids <laughs> because, because they, they have this, uh, this gut feeling that is actually good for them. Um, they learn that when it starts bubbling in your stomach, that's not the end of the world. That's a little bit of anxiety mm -hmm. and you can actually suppress it. Uh, and it can even, even be a source of meaningful fun. Um, but of course you shouldn't show with Texas Chainsaw Massacre to a four-year-old. I mean, it, it has to, it has yeah. to be carefully curated. Um, yeah. and that's probably, that requires real insight into the child. What scares the child? Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything you should avoid, you know, might not want to show an apocalyptic movie about the end of the world to yeah. an eight-year-old or something that is very much about mortality to a child who's terrified of, of dying. So. But, but, yeah. you know, if, if you dose it just right, I think it can really be a force for good. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you bring up Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's that new one just came out on Netflix and what mm -hmm. we've been trying to do, like, for example, the new, uh, Chucky series just came out mm -hmm. and my son hadn't seen any of the Chucky's I saw when I was a kid, scared the hell out of me. Now I just think it's <laughs> hilarious. But anyways, so we started watching the Chucky movies so we can hop into the series. But with the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, we were just talking with them about it. And I don't know if you're familiar with the YouTuber uh, Kill Count. Have you ever no, checked that out? No. Oh, you would you would love it. You would love it. Uh, uh, basically, he breaks down a bunch of horror movies and just counts like all the deaths. But he does more, mm -hmm. like analyzes and makes some other content. But my son, uh, when we brought up Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he just told us, he's like, that one might be a little much for me. It seems really gory. And, like, and I'm like, okay, right. cool. But he's 13 now, so he can kind yeah. of communicate that. So let me mm -hmm. ask you this. Let's say there's parents listening to this podcast yeah. right now. And they're like, I want to introduce my kid to horror. What do you think? Like maybe two or three, like what are some good introductory scary movies that you think is like suitable where you don't have to worry too much about certain underlying themes and stuff like that? Right. It depends on the age of the kid and the sensitivity of the kid, I guess. Mm. Um, but for my own kids, um, I remember Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sort of, you know, like Jaws, but with dinosaurs. You know, it's it yeah has sort of some horror movie elements. And that was a that was a good good one for our kids. But they're also, I mean, ever since Gremlins terrified kids back in the the eighties, um, there's been an increase in in horror movies for kids. And I have a colleague, uh, her name is Kat Lester. She just published a book on horror movies for kids. Mm. Um, and uh, she has a lot of really good examples. Oh, really? Um, so, mm, 
it's kind of difficult. But there are animated movies made for kids with scary elements, but yeah, uh, like Paranorman would be an example, or Hotel mm. Transylvania, which is a whole series. Uh, and of course, the old Disney movies terrified. You know, <laughs> yeah, some of those Martin, were... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's interesting too. My son, my son was obsessed. He's he still loves Jurassic Park and that new, mm. that, you know, that new one's coming out pretty soon. Uh, but yeah, no, I think those are great suggestions too. Because he not only did he love the Jurassic Park movies, but anything like I noticed something about my son. You get a very giant creature, like whether it's a Godzilla, mm. King Kong, or like they had, uh, you know, just they they toss that in a bunch of movies. He really enjoys those, and that's mm. kind of like a transition because it's kind of, it's somewhat apocalyptic, you know what I mm. mean? But then like the yeah. army can come in and. And do yeah. stuff like that. Um, but let me let me ask you this. So I'm a huge fan. Like a lot of the guests I have on here and stuff, we talk a lot about like critical thinking, science and stuff. Like my main goal as a parent is just to teach my son to be a critical thinker. Just make good decisions, think things through. So anyways, I'm curious whether you do this with your children or you've done any research on this. Like when we're watching scary movies, anybody who watches horror knows this. There's a There's a ton of dumb decisions made in every horror movie like that's and i get it that's like hey, it helps make the plot go along mm-hmm. but when we're watching with uh my son well if it's at the house and we could talk and stuff i'm like you know i'm like what would you do in this situation you know and he <laughs> he recognizes when someone's making a dumb decision but kind of like what we were talking about like getting inside the mind of a serial killer or whatever like mm-hmm. i want these to be little minor exercises in what's a good decision to make in the, like right. Like if you, if your friends all just died, would you walk over here by yourself into the dark and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, uh, I, so like I said, I'm not sure if you've done any research or you do this with your own kids, but have you seen that it helps like kids develop like a better, like uh, a decision-making strategy? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? This is, it's, that's a super interesting question. I hadn't thought about it like that. Um, I do think that, that the, the very horror genre itself kind of grows out grow, is, is a natural product of the imagination, including mm. its capacity for simulation, specifically simulating worst case scenarios. I mean, like the, the final destination movies, those are yeah. those kinds of fantasies. We all have when the kids said they'd be home at 10 o'clock and it's 10 05. And we have these very vivid yeah. detailed, uh, imaginative scenarios of the horrors that have befallen them. Um, and I think ever since our species got that imaginative capacity, we've been telling ourselves and each other horror stories. Um, but it, it, it's, I, I do think that horror stories, horror movies and, and literature kind of invites that kind of, uh, projecting oneself into the universe and reflecting on what would I have done? You know, I, I'm home alone, the power is out. I hear a strange noise from the basement. Do yeah. I grab a candle and go and investigate or do I get the hell out of, out of the house? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so we all scream at the stupid decisions on screen. Um, and of course, in a horror video game, that whole dynamic changes because we, we act, we have agency. We can decide mm. not to, to, um, to do the stupid thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think also maybe horror movies have gotten smarter because, uh, many horror movies nowadays kind of make fun at those 80s slashers in which the mm-hmm. big-breasted heroine would go and investigate the weird noise. I mean, a movie yeah. like uh, Cabin in the Woods is all about poking fun at those conventions. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just, oh no, I was just, I was just gonna say, yeah, like, uh, you know, even the, like these apocalyptic ones. Like, I used to have an insane fear of zombies, and I wanted to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but yeah, we'll watch them and stuff. 
<clears throat> you know, and uh, it it really seems like uh, there's there's certain like tropes like in the zombie ones. It's just like, hey, you're in a zombie apocalypse. Like once mm. that person turns or they're bitten, like they're no longer yeah. that person. They're they're technically dead. You know, let's get right. that. We just watched that new series. Uh, oh, it was so great. Uh, we're all dead now, or everyone's dead. Mm -hmm. Something like that. It's a South Korean. They've been coming out with yeah. some really good movies or series. Yeah, yeah but uh, <clears throat> whether it's that or I've noticed like in horror movies, like they refuse to turn on lights. Like people just mm -hmm. walk through their house. I'm like, you know, you have electricity. Like there's no power outage or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, so one one thing I, I wanted to ask too was like what what have you found makes us makes different people afraid of different things? And here's what I mean by that. Like, for example, me, I was terrified of zombies. Now I watch zombie stuff all day long. Eventually I'm gonna get around to watching Walking Dead because I avoided it for years. But uh, mm. but yeah, zombies were my thing, right? But like realistic horror, like the purge movies, for example, there's nothing supernatural or anything, but there is an audience where that type of reality does scare them. So mm -hmm. have you found any difference between people who are afraid of like more supernatural things like uh, exorcisms, demons, possessions, mm -hmm. ghosts versus like the realistic stuff, like something like the Purge series or anything like that? Is there any type mm -hmm. of personality type or psych uh, psychological profile between those two types of people? Yeah. Now that's one of the, that's one of the areas that remain under research. And that's, that's the thing about this whole field is that there are some things we know, but there are many, many more things we don't know, which makes it a fun field in which to do yeah, research. Yeah, keeps you busy. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we do know that uh, people who believe in the supernatural are tend to be more scared by supernatural horror movies, which is not really surprising. Uh, but they perceive, you know, somebody who believes in demons is going to be more scared of The Exorcist because it seems a possible scenario mm. to them. At the same time, though, I mean, a, a very well-made supernatural horror movie can terrify the most hard-nosed uh, skeptic or atheist. Mm -hmm. uh, I myself, I, I I'm consider myself, you know, all of those things, atheistic, uh, skeptical. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, some of the movies that have scared me the worst have been supernatural horror movies because they make it seem plausible to me, at least for the time being. Yeah, and, the, and and psychologists tell us that uh, you know belief is not a binary situation. It's not an on-off switch that you either believe something or you don't. It's more of yeah. a continuum where you perceive something to be more or less plausible, and and there is some variation. Uh, so that right now you and I are talking. I'm in a well-lit room. I'd say the odds of there being ghosts in the world are very close to zero. But mm. two hours from now, when I've watched a ghost movie. I'll say probably around 80%. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that's uh, that's but, pretty interesting. Yeah. But apart from, from that very kind of broad observation, um, I guess if somebody has a real world fear of spiders, they'll be more affected by arachnophobia, the movie. Uh, somebody who's afraid of assault will be more affected by a slasher movie. Um, but that's all just kind of commonsensical it's not something we know a lot about yet yeah so uh you know something else that i'm so glad that you brought up in the book and this is this is one of the reasons like i hope every single horror fan that i reach gets your book is you have a whole section on like the critics right <clears throat> and uh I, I have some more topics about this specific thing but like um personally for example i my favorite types of horror movies are jump scare movies right the mm -hmm. stories are usually dumb 
you know what <laughs> but like that's when i'm just like i enjoyed it like you you got a certain amount of jump scares out of me you did your job you know what i mean yeah. but anyways yeah. what you touch on is like horror movies always get just killed they just get slaughtered by critics except for mm. you, you like you talk about like get out and stuff like those mm. newer ones that are like ah, and they get really good but so so can you explain a little bit why like critics aren't really the best people to be like saying what is or isn't a good horror film yeah yeah that's it's really bizarre how the correlation between the critical reception of a horror movie and its commercial um its ability to generate um money is 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 very low and there is so much prejudice um i, I mentioned this anecdote in the book where a few years ago i was invited to a really fancy dinner at the american embassy in in copenhagen um and i was really nervous about that i didn't know what to wear and i had a you know i received this invitation it said um business casual and i don't, I don't know what the hell business casual is i don't even yeah. own a suit you know I'm just a regular academic in a pair of jeans and, and a hoodie. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, tr I tracked down a suit and I put on a tie and turns out I was horribly overdressed. And so I, I met these really fancy people from, from, uh, from, from the business sector and, and the fine arts and thing. And they, and we introduced ourselves and I told them I, I'm a horror researcher. I, I could have found it, you know, I could have, it's like I said, something that was mildly <laughs> embarrassing to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> And, and there is that sort of, you know, my, my colleagues are very understanding, but I'm, I'm the horror guy in a department at which people study, uh, Renaissance poetry and, uh, Shakespeare yeah. and, um, and certainly horror is lower on the kind of cultural hierarchy for whatever reason. Um, maybe it's because it's often about this very things that are perceived to be primitive, you know, primitive emotions, uh, primitive scenarios of predation and monsters and. And of course, there are many bad horror movies, but that's the case for any genre. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you can go into any category on Netflix and choose a random movie and it's likely to be shit. Um, that's not, that's not peculiar to horror. Um, but it has that kind of stigma, which is a real shame. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. I'll tell you one of the reasons that I like fell in love with horror. Like now I would say like, I'm a horror fan. Like, I don't even mind. Like I remember when my girlfriend and I first moved in together, she's like, Oh, I want to make like a horror wall of like scary pictures. Like, you know, like black and white, like what's like that being a creepy house and stuff. Now I don't <laughs> mind. But anyways, one of the reasons I fell in love with the genre, I, you know, I've been a, you know, a film and TV lover forever, but it seems like some of the most creative uh stories come out of horror right like so uh you like you know being into like literature and stuff like uh because i mainly read nonfiction, but i i love like just getting having that escape of movies and tvs but like i don't know if you've noticed this but it seems like the there's so much creativity right yeah. i'm like how did like i'm always thinking like how did you guys come up with this story and yeah. sometimes i'm like okay that was kind of ridiculous there was a bunch of plot holes but mm. the creativity there it seems like just amazing where, whereas, you know, I see the movies that are winning awards or critics love. I'm like, mm -hmm. this movie's been made a hundred times. Like, oh, you told yeah. a real story or something. Like, you know? So, yeah. so that's why I'm curious, like that stigma. Cause do you see that mm. same kind of like creativity from Oryx or is it just me? Am I crazy? No, I'm totally on the same page. I think that's very true. And I think, you know, we can trace this back through, through the whole history of horror cinema. That, that filmmakers who have been interested in, in scaring audiences have had to be creative with 
lighting and costume and editing and cinematography and mm -hmm. you know how, how can i place and move my camera to create a sensation of being creeped out in an audience mm -hmm. how can i play with uh light and shadow um how can i have this you know like the scenes in the shining with the camera that floats behind uh, danny as he is cycling along the carpet on his tricycle the camera movement itself is creepy yeah, uh, that's that's some real creativity to to create a, a, a particular effect in the audience. I think that's um, that's something that's easily overlooked. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm hoping that's that you know books like yours help decrease some of that stigma because mm -hmm. I'm like these are some of the most imaginative stories I've come across. But you know, uh, <clears throat> I, I I'm somebody who you know I I've done plenty of episodes on just the subjectivity of what makes something good versus bad. But something I've noticed, as I mentioned, I my favorite types of movies, uh, horror movies, are jump scares, right? Mm. Usually those, like, quote-unquote, have, like, the worst storylines, right? They're just, mm -hmm. like, very basic, and it's just, like, uh, you know, I as I'm sitting there, I'm usually yelling at the TV. I'm like, I know the jump scare's coming. Just do mm. it. Get it out of the way, right? <laughs> but anyways, my girlfriend, um, she'll always send me, like, TikToks or uh, these lists of horror movies and what I notice is a lot of like psychological horrors, right? Mm. Like very slow movies are usually at the top of these lists. And I watch mm -hmm. those and I am bored out of my mind, right? <laughs> no, they might have like one or two like really gory scenes. And you're like, okay, that was kind of twisted. But like none of those would rank in my top list, right? So mm -hmm. for lack of better words, I wonder if the people like who say that those are their favorites are just like kind mm -hmm. of being pretentious, right? right. <laughs> or, or what? But like, uh, maybe you can enlighten me, like the people who are fans of those types of very slow kind of psychological ones that, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm just always thinking about them. Like, who are the type yeah. of people that really enjoy these? Yeah, I wonder too, because when we've done a bunch of informal surveys asking people, what is your favorite type of horror or horror subgenre? And people always say psychological horror. Really? Yeah, they always say that. And I think maybe it's because, you know, it has a little bit of mahogany, a little bit, it, it sounds more uh, respectable. You know, psychological horror, uh, shading yeah. into thriller. You know, it's about uh, human interactions and the depths of human depravity. and. Yeah, but come on! I I also want the I want jump scares. I want yeah. you know some gory stuff. I want some wild effects. I want heads exploding. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it has to be. Yeah. Have you have you seen by chance like the movie that keeps popping up into my head? It's a movie mm -hmm. called I believe it's called Antichrist. It has Willem Dafoe in it, uh, and it was kind of like this independent movie. And him and his like girlfriend they go to like the woods in this cabin, and she mm -hmm. like gets all crazy and stuff. And there's some like. We're like kind of like cringy, like, oh wow, that was brutal. Like I won't spoil anything, but that that movie just kept popping up on all these lists, but it was just so slow and boring. I'm like, come on. Like I, I want mm -hmm. I like I'm the type of person though where I want that like adrenaline. So it almost seems like with the research and like people saying that, I keep going back to think I'm like, maybe, maybe it's like this kind of social signaling. Like they don't uh -huh. want to say they like horror, but they feel like uh -huh. this is like acceptable. Does that yeah, make sense? I yeah, I think that's I think that's true, and it, and it's sort of a shame that that one should feel, you know, obliged to um, to hide one's love of you know a good, fun, stimulating, entertaining, uh, keeping one on one's toes kind of horror movie. Yeah, I mean, it can't all of it be slow burn art art house uh, yeah. psychological drama. Yeah, well, it's kind of like you know, like when I think about because uh, like my son and I will watch. 
we've seen all the Marvel movies. When they come out, mm-hmm. we'll see it like the day of or the day before, like the first screening and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then you see the critics come out. I'm like, listen, it's those are designed to be just action packed, good CGI, right? Like mm-hmm. the Transformers movies, right? They make yeah. a million of them because it's just like a bunch of explosions. And, you know, like when I go into a horror movie, it's like I'm expecting a certain thing. Whereas if I see a certain like art house movie or whatever, I'm expecting, you know, uh, something different. But also like when it comes to that kind of stigma and around horror, something you you discuss in the book, which mm-hmm. I would love for you to kind of break down is there's there's these ideas like you mentioned like gremlins when it came out and everything but there's mm-hmm. also these other arguments almost like video games and stuff where they're like this mm-hmm. increases violence or this creates serial killers mm-hmm. so can you can you do me a favor and even though everybody's going to go buy your book kind of debunk <laughs> a little bit of that kind of nonsense real quick yeah yeah that's one of the i think that's one of the most more persistent myths about horror that it's uh, psychologically and morally harmful Mm-hmm. And we've seen many historical examples of moral panics uh, arising because of scary stories, like in the Victorian age, uh, part of the cultural elite was really worried about what it would do to the working people to read these sensationalist no- novels about, you know, ghosts and monsters and murderers. Uh, in the 1950s, with the whole comic book um uh, Frederick Wortham, who wrote this book about uh, how comic books created juvenile delinquency, he was especially concerned about those horror comics, you know, EC comics, uh, Tales from the Crypt. Um, and it pops up every now and again also with uh, whenever somebody in the real world does something bad and they're also a horror movie fan. Yeah. Um, very often this narrative emerges in the in the press that is probably because they watched Chucky that they you know did something nasty but the research just does not support it uh for almost everybody you know every well-adjusted person we're perfectly able to separate fact from fiction we know that it's just you know make-believe um we don't get inspired by horror movies some might even find a kind of outlet for you know um delving into these worst case scenarios. Um, there were also cases with, um, a kind of outrage directed at the, the slasher movies, uh, back in the early 1980s when, when slashers had their heyday. So these teenage movies about masked killers chasing mm. teenagers, that supposedly they invited a kind of sympathetic, uh, identification with the slasher killer. So creating or um, attracting sadists, but that's, you know, that's, it's just wrongheaded. There is no evidence to suggest any kind of causal relationship, just like there is no solid evidence to suggest that uh, violent video games make kids more violent. That is not the case. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Although it's anecdotal, like I challenge Mm. anybody to just meet my son, right? Like Mm. he He's a gamer. He loves like shooters and stuff like that. Mm. We watch horror and all. And the number one compliment I get about my son is like, he's so kind and courteous <laughs> and always says please and thank you and everything like that. Right. Everything. So like, but if you looked at it on paper and you fell into those myths, you would think he's some mm. like demon child or something yeah, yeah. like that. But he's For just sure. like, he's the exact opposite. And mm. uh, one of the things I, I love that you touch on, you know, in the book was something about like, you know, crime rates actually dropping. And maybe yeah. it's because 
people mm-hmm. rather than committing crimes they were busy mm-hmm. seeing like a big uh, horror movie that was right. like coming out but mm-hmm. uh this this strays a little bit away from horror but it's kind of in the same realm um because like i'm a true crime fan and stuff like that and there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, like you have a whole section on this kind of like moral conversation and everything mm-hmm. and there's often this kind of like moral slash ethical conversation around like true crime right like Mm -hmm. is it respectful you know to the victims and Mm -hmm. uh you know and there's there's some really big uh social media influencers or podcasts who cover true crime and everything like that so i don't know if you have like you know like personal thoughts or what we should be thinking about like is there a respectful way to cover like you know real life events and the Mm -hmm. details of a case while being respectful because also as we were discussing it helps me kind of look at it and say, okay, what things do I need to avoid or look out for? Because I'm a mm-hmm. very anxious person and this stuff type helps me kind of see the signs that might be coming that I might be in a bad situation. So right. I do see the benefits, but there are a lot of like ethical conversations around it. Yeah, there are. And I'm not, I don't feel qualified to, mm. to make any kind of ethical pronouncement. Um, personally, I try to, I, I'm occasionally, um, asked by journalists to comment on, you know, real crime cases. And I always say no, uh, because I don't mm. feel that's my, I mean, they t- should talk to a sociologist or a psychologist. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I do think that some of my research and the research of Colton Scrivener that we talked about before supports an idea that we shouldn't be too quick to condemn uh, people who enjoy true crime as somehow deviant or, mm. you know, pathological, they're, they're just, um, giving into an impulse that we all share. And that is an important learning mechanism, um, you know, gifted to us by mother nature. Yeah. So it's not that, you know, somebody is, has a psychological problem because they enjoy true crime or serial killer movies. That's a very natural thing. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't ethical discussions that should be had about uh, true crime, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I, I think that's very well said. And that's something I also think about too, if we didn't have anybody who was even like, you know, morbidly curious, like how are you gonna mm-hmm. get like morticians or people yeah. uh, like detectives who are able to mm-hmm. be around that type of stuff when there's a murder yeah. scene, like, so we need people who like have that profile of being interested in that type of stuff. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I have a little bit more of your time and there is a whole section on mental health, right? Mm-hmm. And that was, that was kind of interesting to me too, because like, for example, like, uh, like I've had an anxiety disorder and stuff and something I've noticed that's helped me a lot, uh, not just horror, but just in everything, it's just kind of pushing myself and, Mm -hmm. you know, adapting, but you know, you, you discuss some of the research around, like, does it psychologically affect people, whether it's Mm -hmm. their anxiety or traumas or, uh, things like that. And also some claims people have made that haven't been like a hundred percent proven. So mm-hmm. can you break down like kind of what we know about the relationship between the horror watching and mental health? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there was a lot of kind of early horror movie psychological research back in the 1980s that was very focused on negative effects. Um, so study after study after study that showed that most people have some kind of unpleasant experience with horror, usually at around the age of 11 or 12, uh, probably because there's a kind of developmental window where kids get very interested in in scary stories and monsters, but they might not have the kind of either prefrontal maturation or 
um, the necessary media literacy for for um, for handling really scary movies. Um, and so these researchers found that most people have had nightmares because they watch scary movies. They have slept with the lights on and so on. Um, but they totally ignored all the positive effects. Mm. Um, so, and it's kind of like if you were a play researcher and you went to a kindergarten and you asked the kids, have you ever gotten hurt while you played? Have you ever had a bad experience on a playground? Every kid is going to say yes. And if you stop your, your, your survey there, you're going to walk away with an impression that play is dangerous business that should yeah. be forbidden. And that's kind of what these media psychologists did back in the 1980s. Um, and many of those claims were exaggerated. I mean, if you look at the methods of many of those studies, or at least some of the studies, um, they're questionable. And so, so there are very few documented cases of people having truly traumatic experiences with horror movies. It's, it's very, very few. Um, and actually there is some recently emerging, mainly anecdotal evidence to suggest that some people with anxiety disorders actually, uh, actively seek out horror movies because it helps mm. them. And that was a surprise to me when I first heard it, but then on reflection, it sort of makes sense. Um, yeah. and I think it's, it's, I think it's, I don't have an anxiety disorder myself, but as I understand it, it's, it's kind of like you're walking around in a mist of free floating, bad feelings. Um, yeah. it's unclear what the source is. You don't really have any control over it. Uh, but all of that changes when you decide to watch a horror movie, you have control, you can switch it off. You can leave the movie theater and you know exactly what the source is. It's the scary mm -hmm. things on the screen. And so maybe that's a kind of, uh, a tool for you to, um, practice emotion regulation and maybe interoception, which is the process of um, reading the signals from the body. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, I, I could say like, cause I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and, you know, I do a lot of things like, like therapy, medications, meditation, all that stuff. But yeah, a mm -hmm. lot of it was just like this, uh, this lack of control that I would constantly feel. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like you said, like with horror movies, like I have this control, like, even if, you know, like I'm, I'm like, Hey, hurry up and do the jump scare. I know it's coming, <laughs> you know, but mm -hmm. I do know, like there's a finite amount of time that I'm going to be watching this movie. It's going to end at a certain time. But like I said, for me personally, uh, like, I feel like it's made me more resilient. There's not as many things that scare me just in the normal you know like mm -hmm. if somebody like walked into a room and i wasn't paying attention like i would jump mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. <laughs> and that mm -hmm. doesn't happen as much and i don't know i don't know if it's been because i've been watching a lot more horror over the last you know couple of years but i i personally have seen some benefits and mm -hmm. like will like my, my girlfriend and i uh you know we we watch this stuff all the time whatever it's new and we're always sending each other stuff and like three or four years ago if you said, Hey, Chris, you're going to be watching and like looking forward to horror movies. I'd be like, Nope. Right. <laughs> and like, so it's, it's really, it's been really interesting. So, so one of the last things I'll ask you too, like what's, what's kind of on the horizon for, for your research, right? Like a lot of people need to pick up your book because I, like the, you talk about like having like cameras and haunted houses and watching mm -hmm. people and talking with actors, like there's so much fun stuff in there, but what, mm -hmm. what, what, what's the direction that you're going? What are you interested in? Are there mm -hmm. things that you want to start researching? Mm -hmm. Where do we go from here? Oh, we have a bunch of things, cool things going on in the, in the recreational field. Um, and one of the directions I'm really interested in is this whole kids and mental health and recreational fear. 
Mm. I want to know more. I want to know if, if, if it's a good idea to expose kids to recreational fear as a kind of countermeasure to this epidemic of, of uh, mental health problems. And so that's something we're currently applying for funding to, um, to investigate. Mm-hmm. And we did a study last year in a haunted house in which we looked at interoceptive ability. That is the ability to accurately read the signs from your body. Uh, how fast is your heart beating right now? Mm. Um, because it looks like people with anxiety disorder are very keenly attuned to the signals from their body, but very poor at accurately reading them. And it may be that if you expose yourself to horror, you might get better at that kind of interoception. Um, so that's one direction I'm very interested in. Um, the other currently, um, fascinating project is a new thing we just started, which is called apex of fear. Uh, we just got funding from the Danish innovation fund to create a virtual reality horror mm. experience, um, that adapts to the players, um, physiological state. So we have an artificial intelligence that detects how, how scared people are and then adjusts uh, the horror game. So we put these, um, you know, psychophysiological, uh, equipment on people and they get on a pair of uh, virtual reality glasses and they're put into a horror simulation that then evolves according to their responses. Um, That sounds (laughs) intense. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, but the thing is, we want to keep people in what we call the sweet spot of fear, because we found in one of those haunted house studies that people don't generally want maximum fear when they seek out horror. They want just the right amount, the sweet spot. And we can probably detect that sweet spot, you know, physiologically through looking at skin conductance and um, certain muscles, how they respond and uh, heart rate and so on. Yeah. So... So, one one more thing, just because like I'm a mental health nerd and it's something, you know, that I think about a lot, like, do you see like anywhere like later down the line, like any kind of like horror based like therapies that may mm. be helpful? Like since you're researching, you know, people with anxiety disorders, finding that sweet spot of fear. Uh, because yeah. there are things like exposure therapy, right? Yeah. Where, exactly. uh, you know, they'll, they'll put people in situations that they're afraid of and then their body gets, mm-hmm. you know, they build up that resilience. So do you see anything like that, like being helpful, like maybe therapists could use some of these things as tools later down the line, or maybe some are, and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard a few such anecdotal stories and, and, you know, on the face of it, just sounds, um, counterintuitive that you would, you know, get a prescription on for, for horror movies from your therapist. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that far-fetched actually. Um, we did a study early on in the pandemic where we looked at whether people who watch a lot of horror movies have better, you know, uh, resilience, uh, are doing a better job of handling all the anxiety that comes with a lockdown. And that mm-hmm. turned out actually to be the case. And we think it is about exposure. It's about practice. Um, you, you watch many horror movies, you get practice in the fine art of emotion regulation. Yeah. Um, and so maybe you can actually get better at interoception and fear regulation and anxiety suppression by watching horror movies. And those are skills that you can take with you into real life when you face an anxiety provoking situation. Mm. So, um, it's not, it's not totally, totally far out. That's, that's really interesting. And I, I look forward to learning more about that type of research, but Maddie, it's, thank you so much for coming on. I love, love, love the book. And again, I hope everybody goes and checks it out. So for everybody who is like, this guy is doing some really cool stuff. 
where can everybody find uh, you to keep up to date with like your upcoming and new research and mm-hmm. all that stuff? And uh, and the book is it available everywhere? Where can people find it? Yeah, I think the book is available everywhere. Um, certainly, it's available in an in- inexpensive paperback and also an audiobook. They did an audiobook, mm-hmm. um, and. Give me. I know it's on Amazon, but I guess you should probably uh, support independent booksellers. So, yeah. so, uh, so give them a call. Uh, but I'm also relatively active on Twitter, and and we have a uh, website. It's called fear.au.dk, where people can follow the work of the lab, and the lab itself also has a Twitter account. It's called Recreational Fear Lab. Beautiful. Well, I, I, I didn't even know that. So I need to follow that, but yeah, I'll link all that yes. stuff in the, in the description and thank you so much for those listening. You stayed up very late to do this. <laughs> this it was a real talk. pleasure. No, yeah. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And, and yeah, when, uh, when you write the next book on the, on the new research, we'll have you back on. Great. Thanks. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Matthias. Uh, he's doing such interesting work and I love, you know, his just, thoughts and insights and opinions about horror movies and all this type of stuff. And, and yeah, like there's so much uh, good that can come from this. Like I said, like it has helped my son. I've noticed that he's like, you know, less afraid and, you know, and, and yeah, it's helping build that resilience within him. But even for me, like, again, I'm a grown ass adult, but uh, it's helped me out a ton as well, but it's really interesting, like diving into all this research and there's plenty of topics that we didn't even like, you know, get to discuss from his book. Like they, they talk, he like, they, they dive into the research uh, about like, can like watching horror movies like actually help you lose weight like there's really interesting research inside his book so i really hope you all check it out uh and if not like you you probably have a horror lover in your life so grab a copy of this book get it over to them i guarantee they will love it okay so head down to the description make sure you grab a copy of a very nervous person's guide to horror movies and give matthias a follow uh that's also linked down in the description below i've also linked his website so make sure you go check that out right but before i let you go a few things make sure you're following me on instagram and twitter at the rewired soul so you don't miss any upcoming episodes i've been recording like crazy i've been getting back into this groove i just love reading all sorts of books like i was kind of hitting like this little like rut where i was like getting bored with certain topics so i'm like expanding the type of books that i read so we got a lot of really cool guests coming up so make sure you're following me on instagram and twitter so you don't miss anything as i mentioned earlier i am now trying to upload a bit more over on tiktok if you want to follow me there at the rewired soul and yeah a couple quick and easy ways that you can help support the podcast one share this conversation share it on horror uh not on horror uh, share it on instagram facebook and twitter for horror fans because you probably have some horror fans in your life who would enjoy this conversation so share it out there next leave a rating leave a review over on apple podcast that helps out a ton it helps grow our little community because not only do more people see it when you share it but the algorithms love that stuff all right but some other ways to support the podcast uh, one, you can become a paid subscriber over on Substack for $5 a month or 50 bucks for the year. You help support what I'm doing here, but also you get all of the regular episodes like this one an entire day early. So you get a little, a little something, something in return. All right. Another way to support is head over to the rewired check out some of the books 
that I have written. You can buy them over there. And lastly, there is an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. So if you're like me, uh, again, mental health is a huge part of my life. Uh, I used to have crippling anxiety. I've struggled with depression. Uh, when I was going really going through it back in 2019, uh, I personally used BetterHelp Online Therapy and my therapist was awesome. So BetterHelp, it's affordable. You can do it from the comfort of your own home or wherever you are because it's all online through the app. And yeah, it's awesome. And you work with a licensed therapist. So pff, why not? All right. So if you're interested in that, check out that affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. All right. So another huge, huge thank you to Matias for coming on and all the research that he's doing. Make sure you follow him and check out his book. And yeah, I will have one more episode for you this week. Okay. We're going to be talking about addiction. Okay. I read one of the best books, one of the best books about the history of addiction research and treatment. And I had the honor of having the author on here. So as many of you know, I'm in recovery. This is a topic that is very close to me. So yeah, I hope you enjoy that episode. That'll be out later this week. All right. But until then, have an amazing rest of your day. And I will see you next time.